Welcome to A Handful of Hope, where we bring you heart-to-heart conversations with heart-centered people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of A Handful of Hope. I am so happy and grateful to have Julie Paulston with us here today, who's a transformational life coach who brings humor, passion, and compassion in her journey to help women rise from the ashes of their lives to rediscover their divine inner phoenix. Having over 30 years in recovery, she brings multiple personal experiences and strategies to rediscover who you were before the world told you who you should be. The last year has been pivotal in her journey in rediscovering her own purpose and her passion to serve others. She's a contributing author for Women's Health and Wellness Network and has appeared on Ladies of the Light with Melanie Colton and Asked Expert with Letitia Johnson. She has her own podcast called Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life where no subject is off the table. She's a proud mom of three grown children and three grandchildren. She resides in Pensacola, Florida, and loves nothing more than chasing the sunrise over the Gulf and sharing her experience, strength, and hope with others. Julie, welcome, and thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you so much. I have been looking forward to this for weeks. <laughs> awesome. So let's, let's start off with the, the question that's burning on my mind. What is your favorite part about a sunrise? Well, besides the fact that I get to witness the beginning of a brand new day, the colors in the sky, uh, it gives me the opportunity to understand that whatever happened yesterday is done, it's gone, and the sun will always come up no matter how dark it is. And I know that sounds cheesy and corny, but the sun always comes up no matter what. And when I get the gift of being able to watch it come up over the Gulf, it just reminds me that no matter how dark it gets, that it's going to come up and I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I, I get that. I've, I've definitely had some, I often, I can remember specific times in my life after going through a really dark period or losing a loved one or something like that, you know, the next morning going down and watching the sunrise and there's just something, something about it. You know, it, it's, it's the weirdest thing that when life seems like it's frozen and a standstill for you, here's life still marching on here, here, it still keeps going on. And, and it becomes a really incredible metaphor, I think, as you just expressed. Yeah. Yeah. It's to me, it's magical. It just, and, and we forget that when we're locked in grief or when we're locked in that, that pit in our life, that life is still going on all around us. We may feel like it's frozen. However, people are still getting up and going to work. People are still doing whatever it is that they do. So it's our responsibility to really step back and realize that life is still going to go on and we have a choice whether we want to participate or not. And participation is so important, so important. So I know you went through some challenging times many years ago before you went in and went through recovery. I imagine for you, there was a pivotal moment of choice where you're going to choose to participate in the process and move through it. What was that like for you? What was the, what was the choice? Why did you make it? And what did it mean for you to really participate in that experience? So I have contemplated not being in this worldly realm multiple times. Um, the most pivotal one, I literally had a, a blade in my hand and I thought that the world was going to be so much better without me because I was a screw up and I was an idiot. And you know, the, the self-flagellation that we do, and we beat ourselves up with the club so much 
that I did not see a way out. And no matter how much my parents told me that they loved me and, and how much value everybody told me I had, I couldn't see it. There, it just, it did not appear in my realm. And so I thought, well, if I just leave, then everybody will be better off without me because they won't have to see me screw up. They won't have to see me you know, homeless. They don't have to see all the things that I'm doing. And so I went to, to cut my wrists. Thank God I'm the biggest wussy when it comes to pain because I took the knife and I started cutting in and I have a scar on my wrist that reminds me every single day. Mm. But I started to cut and the pain hit me and I thought, okay, ow, I don't, I don't like that. And then I felt this almost like a push away from my wrist. And I thought, wait a minute, I got too much to do in my life. There's too weight. And, and it was in that moment that I thought, Julie, wait a minute, what is your dad? And the, the first thought was like my dad and my mom and, and my brother and my sister, them having to stand over a grave. And in that moment, I saw them and went, I don't want to do that to them. And so beyond the pain of, ow, that really hurt, the pain that I would cause other people, thank God for that codependent people-pleasing part of me in that moment, because that's what came out was like, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody else. And so I stopped. And I wish I could say it got a, you know, the, the angel sang and it got really good in that moment. It didn't. I just got real drunk and got really loaded and just kind of shoved it down and buried it in the moment and just kept moving, just kept it moving. I, I find it so fascinating in the human experience how we can be so emotionally charged in a moment and so consumed by whatever narrative we're telling ourselves that the emotion that we've, we've have ourselves swirling in, it can seem like in that moment that that really is maybe the only solution, but then you provide another stimulus, physical pain, you know, a sound, something else. And it can be enough to disrupt that in one narrative and switch to a different narrative, a narrative that invites possibly another solution, another outcome, another source. And so I, I'm, I wanted to know, like you went from that and then you went and got loaded. It wasn't this matter after this turnaround. At what point did you decide, okay, now I'm really going to focus on going after life. And to do that, I need to go through recovery first because there's, there's so much I, I'm here for and I have to give to the world. It's funny because there's a lot of people that get to that, the bottom and I'll, I'll never forget my last drunk. And I, I still subscribe to that AA theory of that. If you don't remember your last drunk, you haven't had it yet. I, I will always remember that, but I, I got, I stumbled into recovery. I, I didn't seek it out. It wasn't something that I was like, you know what, I'm going to go get sober. I actually got uh, 13 stepped in. So uh, somebody that I had met was, you know, I would drop them off and I would go to the bar and they would go to a meeting. And finally they were like, listen, come to a meeting with me. And I went under massive protest. But as I sat there, this one lady told my story and, and she started talking, even though it wasn't me, 
the things that she'd been through in her life just resonated on a level that I had never experienced before. And I thought, oh, okay, all right, well, well, this isn't what I wanted to think about myself because I thought, you know, I'm not homeless anymore. I mean, I'd been homeless, but I wasn't homeless anymore. I wasn't doing drugs anymore. I was simply drinking and I was partying and having fun. And so I was justifying my behavior. And then when I was, when that mirror was put up in front of me, it was a shift that it just was that puzzle piece that locked in. It was like mm. that final click in the puzzle. I knew that something was missing. That puzzle piece dropped in and I thought, okay, I don't have the option of walking away now because now I see. Hmm. I tell people all the time, I tell my clients all the time, if you don't know better, you can't do better. However, once you know better, it is your responsibility to do better. And so I had to do better. And so I started my journey of sobriety. It wasn't easy. And I will tell you probably the first, I can't even tell you how many years I just kind of floated through and, and never really wanted to do the work. Uh, I never wanted to look inside because it was too painful. And I, after I got sober, after a year of sobriety, my grandfather passed away. And that's when I actually went to treatment. I didn't go to treatment until I had a year under my belt. And I went wow. to treatment because when my grandpa died, that was my buddy. And I knew that I would go back out if I didn't go get help. And so I checked myself into treatment and I did a 28 day inpatient. And that was really reaffirmed that I couldn't, I couldn't be like normal people and just go have a glass of wine. For me, if I'm going to have a glass of wine, you might as well bring me the whole bottle. Because why waste good wine? I mean, come on, seriously. <laughs> I, I have a, a friend who, you know, tragically still operates under that rationale that I, I, I can go and have one and it should be fine and, and whatnot. And fortunately, it, it, it gets progressively work and it's heartbreaking to watch the, the path. Yeah. And it seems so. So it sounds like your, your grandfather, him being your buddy, was very influential and, and inspired you to go in and make the shift. You go in, you're in a 28 day recovery program, you come out and now is it, now do you feel like you have more intention, more purpose in going forward? Because you said you're kind of floating through at first. Um, you know, honestly, I still floated. Hmm. I wish I could say like, I have this, you know, divine epiphany and, and I did things right. And I followed the steps and, you know, I half-assed followed the steps and, and I did my fourth step, which is a searching moral. For those that don't know, your fourth step is where you do a searching moral inventory, where you go look at all your baggage, you go look at all the, the things that you've done, which can really be scary. And your fifth step is where you share it with someone so that, you know, you can get all of this out. Well, I did that. And the gal that was my sponsor at the time actually relapsed and told everybody in our group everything about my four steps. So at that point in time, I thought, you know what? I don't need the program. I'm going to go do this on my own because it was humiliating. Um, there were very personal things that I shared. And, and I didn't realize in that moment that by sharing, you actually take away the stigma of shame because shame can only live in secrecy and darkness. And so it's only really been in probably the last two years that I've really, and I have 31 years of sobriety. It's really in the last two years doing that deep 
shadow work, that deep personal work that now I have no problem sharing anything. Like I, I have my own podcast where I talk about everything and people will be like, Julie, did, did you just really do a podcast about that? I'm like, sure did. They're like, well, aren't you scared that people are going to judge you? <laughs> people are going to judge you anyways. Why? If I can share my story and it helps one person understand that they're not alone anymore, then I will, I will stand on the top of the mountain and share anything and mm. everything so that somebody doesn't feel the way I used to feel alone and stigmatized and judged and humiliated and that shame. And I'll go in the arena, like Brene Brown says, I'll go in that arena all day long if it helps somebody else step into the arena of their life. It, it continually amazes me how much emotions like shame and guilt are fueled by a self-centeredness. You know, what do people think of me? What are they going to, how are they going to view me? How are they going to judge me? And it seems consistently the antidote to many of those are going from a selfish, what are they going to think of me to a selfless, how can I use this to serve others? And when we switch that paradigm and thinking instead of ourselves, but of somebody else and how we can, because that's the, that's really the kind of the cat out of the bag, so to speak, isn't it? that we fuel those emotions by thinking that we're the only ones that have felt and gone through it. And it puts us on this lonely island party of one. But when we start to really open up and share, we realize that our, our experience is while unique to us. There's similarities in the human experience and there's community and connection and all these beautiful things that can come to it. I, you'll appreciate this, Julie. The other day I was having a conversation with somebody. I was saying, you know, I really think that vulnerability is this, is the anecdote to 95% of the human problems we face if we would get out of our heads and we'd stop making such a big deal about being human and think that we need to run around and hide who we really are instead of trying to show up and be how we think we need to be, you would see anxiety, depression, suicide. I mean, you name it. I think you'd see almost everything diminish dramatically. Oh, right? absolutely. And I think that COVID unfortunately really ramped that up because so many of us and I mean, there's still people, I have friends, a friend of mine that's in Nepal that she, they're in like massive lockdown. And when you get locked in a house and now your demons where they, you might've kept them at bay because you were out and you were working and you were doing things all of a sudden, now you're locked in a house. I know for me, when we went into lockdown, that was the beginning of the end for me for last year, 2020 was like, I call it the trifecta of unfortunate events. July 11th, I broke my wrist. August 27th, I lost my job. September 15th, Hurricane Sally came in and took everything that I owned. And I was sitting there and I felt like that, you know, private island, party of one, because I'm single, I live by myself. And all it was, was my dog. Hmm. And that even though we have the internet and you and I are talking over the internet and you're in California and I'm in Florida and we have this connection, but I think that COVID has given us more connections, but we're more disconnected than we ever have been. And we become keyboard warriors and we crush and feel the judgment and the weight of shame because we don't really get to get out as much. And we don't have that inner connection of feeling that heart space and, and being able to hug someone. And, and that was probably the biggest thing for me was the first time I actually got to hug someone 
like, I'm not, I'm like, sorry, I'm not going to let you go. <laughs> I just give me 10 more seconds. I, just, I need to hug someone. And I love my dog, but she's a sorry substitute. Just saying. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I think that it's, it has, it's, it's broadened the connection in the sense of we're able to see more of a really human perspective, human experience, how everybody's going through this in some unique way. But it also has seemed like it's amplified some of the megaphones that we've all had beforehand. And unfortunately, what often gets captured and populates the airwaves is the, the moments of the, how would, how would we say it? I don't want to say the worst of humanity, but the moments that are us behaving in a way that may not be a way we normally conduct ourselves because our emotions have just gotten the better of us because life in that moment is so hard. And those are often the moments that are captured and put on media waves and made it seem like that that is the representation of who we are as a human. And then us and our quick to judge minds, we, so, we no longer see the human, we just see the label that we affix to that person. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, it seems to that point, and I, I'm sure you can speak to this too, is that there's the opportunity for us, right? In our own growth is how do we grow beyond labels and see humanity? And I think that starts with really self-love because so, so much of our need to affix a label to another human being is because we see them reflecting some part of ourself and it's a little scary, it's a little uneasy. And so we'd rather make them a monster or bad or wrong or whatever it is than us having to, as you said earlier, look into the mirror and see what's staring us back. So maybe speak to a little bit about, Julie, about self-love. How has it played a role in your life? How has it impacted you? How has it impacted the work that you do? It has revolutionized my life. Uh, it has taught me that until I love myself, I have no business trying to love anybody else. As little girls, we're usually the first toy you're ever given is a doll. And this is not a knock to parents because I did, you know, we all, we all do it. You know, we're given this toy and as little girls and take care of the dolly, take care of the dolly, feed the dolly, take care of the dolly. And everything is focused now out here because as you start growing up then you're starting to take care of siblings, you are taking care of your friends. If you're in a toxic environment, sometimes you have to step into the parent role. So we are taught, and even little boys are taught that too, is take care of everything out here. We're never taught how to take care of ourselves. So what happens is self-love becomes something that is quote unquote taboo. Self-care is pushed to the wayside because as a parent, you want it, you have to take care of your children. And women as parent, as moms, you know, we're working and we're taking care of the family, we're doing all of that. And we feel guilty. Mom guilt is a huge real thing. We feel guilty for taking an hour bath and saying, I need time. And I need to learn how to love myself. Because when I learn how to love myself and understand how I receive love and how I perceive love, it allows me to be able to give love and it allows me to be able to set boundaries. And those are huge. Boundaries are not selfish. And when you were talking about, you know, seeing the quote unquote worst of humanity, it's okay to have a boundary of saying, I'm not going to watch the news. 
you can set the boundary of I'm not going to participate in bullying when I see it online. It's okay to unfriend people. People are like, oh, well, I'm just unfollowing them because I don't really want to unfriend them because they might get mad at me. Girl, unfriend them. If they, if it comes to it, you have the right, the inalienable right to set boundaries about who gets to be in your energy. I taught yesterday in, in my classes that I kind of look at myself like Saturn and, you know, you got the rings around who you are depends on where you are in the placement of the rings. The people that are closest to me, you and it sounds selfish and somebody called me on it yesterday and I said, listen, it's not selfish. It is an honor to be in the inner circle of me because if I don't honor myself first and if I don't look at being in my energy as an honor, then anybody can bust on through and then you have the ability to break through those boundaries. And if I don't hold strong to them and say, being in my presence is an honor, if that sounds selfish to you, then you, you don't get to be in that inner circle. You get to stay outside in these other rings. You can still be in my energy field, but you don't get the honor of being close. And I think if we look at who we are and love ourselves and treasure and honor and know that being part of my life or somebody being part of your life is an honor and not, it's not just, it's not something to be freely given. It's not a right to be in my presence. It's an honor to be in my presence. And I think that when we do that and we stand in our truth and we stand in our power and we stand in our love, we give permission to other people to do the same and we start to heal ourselves. And when we heal, we show other people how to heal. Do you remember the moment when you started to really embrace loving yourself? I do. Uh, it was when Hurricane Sally came through. I mean, I've loved myself for a long time, but I always let people come through the boundary because I, I wanted to make sure I wanted everybody to like me. And now I'm at a point where, you know what, if you don't like me, that's, that's on you. That's not me. It's a reflection of you. It's not a reflection of me. I'm always going to be kind. When I ended up with nothing again, I had to look at myself and think and look and say, okay, Jules, if you are basing who you are and what you have, it's a flawed way of thinking. So if you can look at yourself and celebrate who you are, and it took some real deep journaling and some tear sessions and some real and clearings and, and work on that. The minute I was able to look in the mirror and start doing mirror work where I can hold my eye contact with myself and say, I love you. I'm proud yeah. of you. I'm proud of the woman that you are. You are an amazing human being. That in that moment was revolutionary for me because it showed me that we have the right to heal and we can heal no matter what the damage has been in the past. That's, Julie, that's such an incredible thing for me to hear because I'm imagining what the human experience has been like this past year with us being separated and disconnected with COVID and the fear for so many and how that's impacted so many. And then I'm imagining how 
losing a job on top of that, which we have a huge sense of identity, safety, security, all those things tied into it. And then that impacts people. And I know so many people have gone through it. And then to have a hurricane come through and to physic literally physically lose everything and being someone who has been learning to love yourself for a while, but then in that moment where literally all your physical stuff's gone, everything that you knew was gone, all of it was familiar except for your dog is gone. And I would imagine that would be the time where you're wanting to be most connected and, and would be most vulnerable to letting people maybe in that inner layer, past the inner boundary where maybe they shouldn't be allowed in. And that is the time that you decide, you know what? No, 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 no. This is where I'm going to really triple down on myself because in this moment, what life has shown me right now is really, I have myself always to count on, to be there for, and I need to get good with that so that I can get good with everything else. Yeah. And, and that was pivotal. And I wish I could say it was easy. It wasn't easy. I tell people all the time, it, it sounds easy. And I laugh about, you know, going through Hurricane Sally and, you know, those different things. And I mean, I had to borrow a pair of flip-flops to even go see my mom in Arizona for her birthday because I didn't even have shoes. So I joke about it. I've also done a lot of hard work on it because in that moment, I didn't have anybody else. And if I would have just allowed, you know, whoever to come in and quote unquote, rescue me, what am I going to learn from this? Mm. I had to learn how to rescue myself because in that moment was the, it was the, it was the ask to grass, come to Jesus moment of Julie, you only have you. Because at the end of the day, when I go to bed, when I, when I go to bed, it's me and they're my thoughts. It's my gratitude. It's my life. It's everything. And when we get to that point where you know that this is all about you, there's a reason why they tell you put your oxygen mask on first and then help anybody else. Because otherwise you're just not going to be able to, you're not functional. And, and I've been where I've tried to help everybody else. And then sitting back, I become the martyr because then I'm like, well, nobody's helping me. Nobody's coming to help me. Well, it's because you're not helping yourself. That's a tough realization to make. I mean, Jesse, that's not a fun realization, but it's a necessary one. I get it, Julie, though. I, I really do. It's something that, you know, I understand it. I'm with you in it. And I even struggle and I'll advocate with it. But I'll struggle with practicing and I'll just share this with you really quick because you've been so transparent with me. I have not slept much the last two or three days. And I was pretty, pretty tired this morning. I'd already, my day had started at 2 a.m. I had been, <clears throat> already got a workout in, had a bunch of things done and I had a cancellation. Somebody was, had to cancel last minute, something came up. And I have, and I have calls that go until probably about 7.30 tonight, California time. I thought to myself, you know, I don't have anything I have to do right now. This would be a great time to just try to take a nap, try to restore, try to recover because I can tell I need it. I I'm, feel pooped, but I'm wrestling with myself about setting aside that time for myself because it's too early in the day because you're not supposed to nap right now because you know you should be able to push through it, power through it, blah, 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 blah. 
you know, you haven't put in enough hours yet today, all these types of things. And then I'm wrestling with this whole thing. Like, why, why do I have to put in all these hours? Why should I have to do this? What does it matter if my schedule looks like this, this, and this, and this, you know, and it's funny because I know how ridiculous all that narrative is. And in that moment of decision, I still wrestle with it at times too. I'm just finally starting to lean into getting better and better, better about choosing myself first. Do you find that you still, even with the boundaries you have now, even with the self-love you have now, do you find that you still wrestle with that when you're making those decisions to choose yourself? Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> there's, there's days where, you know, I, and because we're entrepreneurs and because we work from home, there's really nobody that's looking over your shoulder, like in the corporate world going, so what do you have planned today? You know, email me your calendar and micromanaging us. What I find is that I am so bad at macro micromanaging my own schedule. Like, oh, Julie, you should be doing this and should be doing And I have to hit the, you know, stop, cancel, clear. I do that a lot. Stop, cancel, clear, wait. Julie, if you take a nap, is the world going to end? No. Okay. I'll be fully transparent with you. I woke up this morning at four o'clock and I go and I work out and I got back and I was doing stuff and I was working. And usually I set my hours from usually 9.30 and I work till five. This morning at 7.30, because I got back from my workout and I started doing work and I thought, wait a minute. And I was so tired. I fell asleep. And I woke up and I felt bad that I, that I fell asleep. I'm like, oh my gosh, I still struggle with it. It's really just in that moment, giving myself grace and giving yourself grace for being human. Hmm. Cause you're human, you're going to make mistakes. It's going to happen. Give yourself grace. And in that moment, give yourself a hug and saying, dude, you're doing the best you can. Let's go Jules. Let's pick it up. You can. The world is not going to end if you eat a Snickers. Julie, we're coming up on our time. Before I ask my final question, where's the best place people can connect with you online? So I have my own podcast. It's Be the Phoenix of Your Own Life. It's on all the bod podcast channels. Uh, I, the easiest way to find me is on Facebook. It's Julie Paulston, P-A-U-L-S-T-O-N. Um, I'm on Instagram at Divine Phoenix Rising. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Uh, yep. but best place to find me is on Facebook. You can find me, friend me, follow me, um, drop me a message. I love connecting with people. And if I can help one person feel like they're not alone, then my day has been made. I love that. Julie, what does this next year look like for you? Ooh, I like that. So my intention, and I have it up on my wall, I have my highest intention and it says, my highest intention is to spark a global movement that empowers women to rise from the ashes of their lives, to reclaim their divine inner phoenix, to rediscover who they were before the world told them who they should be. And for that, this year, I want to do a TED Talk and I want to get out in the speaking world. I know that it's a gift that I have that connection and I want to explore it. That this next year is all about, I want to support as many women as possible. And I don't get me wrong, guys, I love you. I just know that when we heal the divine feminine, the divine feminine spills over and helps heal the divine masculine and the toxicity that is there. Once we can heal that, then it heals on a global scale. I love that. 
I love that you have your intention up. So you have to look up at it. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. And I think that you definitely have, your story has Ted Talk-esque on it. The, just the notion of, I, I didn't have anything, not even sandals or a mask. Sounds like it'd be a rele very relevant TED Talk for the last year. Everyone, what is this one you're going to want to dive into? Julie has such a powerful story about going through a journey of really self-loathing to self-love and being at such a dark and lonely place and where she literally felt she needed to take her own life only to realize that thankfully she was averse to pain and also doubly thankfully that she was a people pleaser and didn't want to let down the people in her life who she loved and cared about and knew they loved and cared about her. We'd love to say that the story turned around there, but it didn't. She had to go through some trials, tribulations, bumps in a road that was sound like it was in large part inspired by the loss of her grandfather that really got her to start to look and go deeper within. You've all heard me say that I think our, our bigger purposes are ultimately found in places of greatest pain or greatest pleasure. And I think for most of us, it's the painful places that we have to go through to really be able to get to deepen appreciation for life and find that purpose to move forward. What I appreciate about Julie's story is it isn't just a, okay, well, I did this, and then all of a sudden things are sunshine and roses. She's been on this journey for over 30 years, for over 30 years and navigating through the twists and turns and ups and downs and trials and tribulations of being a human being, working through and going from that place of suffering and feeling fearful of being judged to being able to have the liberation of being vulnerable and sharing with others not having it be so much about her, but having it be about everyone else, which amazingly enough, when you make it about everybody else, the journey for self is far more enriching because you get a real reward. Instead of living in fear and anxiety of what people think, you get to be in a place of receiving love and joy for what people actually tell you and share with you. Wow, what a novelty that is, right? What I really loved and appreciated about Julie's story is a lot of times people will, will speak from an expert place and sometimes I heard this the other day that the difference between an expert and a master is this, that the expert will tell you an answer, whereas the master will sit down and say, that's a, that's a great question. Let's talk about that. And I feel like Julie is one of those ones who's on that path of mastery in life, where it's not about telling, but it's about sharing. It's about discussing. It's about, it's about conversing and learning and evolving and growing. And I think, isn't that really, in essence, what the Phoenix is, right? It's, it's, it's this evolution of what grows and rises from the darkest of times and how magnificent can we become from those, those troubled, troubled times. Julie, thank you so very much for being here and sharing with us today. This has been such a gift. So appreciate you. And I am so grateful to have spent this time with you today. Thank you, Jesse. It has meant the world to me. Absolutely. We will see you next time, everybody, on another edition of A Handful of Hope. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you're finding value in these conversations, please rate and review on Apple, Google, Stitcher, or wherever your favorite place is to listen to